Based upon our reading we just uh, heard uh, from Isaiah 61, I'd like to focus ultimately on verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adores his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, again, we have the opportunity to gather together on this uh, special evening, uh, preparing ourselves yet again to, um, for the celebration of the giving of your son, Jesus. May the word as it is read this evening uh, inspire us to seek you and your way of life, your words of life that are ours as we see them in Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. So in an effort to kind of try to help you grasp why we do Advent, I, I wanted to put it within the context of going to a, a physical therapist or a, uh, if you happen to have a, a coach, uh, aerobics coach. Uh, you know it's good for you, but it's a struggle sometimes to go. You know the exercises and what they're going to be. It didn't do that at all last week. All right, I'll try it again. Now you don't. Anyway, uh, we know what the exercises are going to be. Uh, and they're usually kind of hard because the focus of the, the physical therapist or the Advent service itself is to, to drill in or to address those things that potentially are weak, that uh, we maybe take for granted, uh, and to exercise it in such a way that we would, of course, be... Uh, restored to health. And I fit that into the Advent celebration because I, I think that uh, many people still kind of wonder, what, why do we even do Advent? So we talked about the, on Advent 1 three weeks ago that we want to learn how to anticipate kind of like Abraham did. To anticipate like Abraham, we have to realize that the actual birthday that we celebrate uh, December 25th is only a part of the celebration. Just as Abraham uh, and the Old Testament people look forward to that first giving of Jesus into this world, we who know Jesus came look forward in anticipation for him to come again, to ultimately bring about what he accomplished for us in his first advent. Last week we talked about silence, um, that uh, in our world today there's sure a lot of noise going on, and I'm not just talking about the, the Christmas music in the stores and stuff, I'm talking about what happens between our ears. When we think and go through the Advent season, we have so many thoughts going on about what we want to accomplish, lists of things to bake, who to invite, things to decorate, and so forth. And sometimes we can arguably wear ourselves out. And as Christmas season comes, and if we're, we're looking for some other kind of, of, of joy or celebration than what Christ has given to us, sometimes it leaves us a little lackluster. So we looked at Zechariah and how he was uh, struck with a dumbness, so he couldn't talk. All he could do was listen. Tonight, Advent 3, we want to talk about uh, Advent joy. 
Um, this may be a little tricky, so if, if somehow or another you're, you're not tracking, raise your hand, and I'll make sure you stick, stick with where we're going on here. How, what's interesting about Advent Joy um, is the fact that um, we know what it is, but sometimes we're more excited and joyful about other things than what the joy really is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, here we're sitting at December 20th, five days out of away from Christmas. And I, I know sometimes you think I'm a, a Grinch pastor, a bah humbug with how people celebrate Christmas. I really don't. It's, it's, it's very much a part of our tradition at, at our home all the way back to when I was a little kid. Um, and, and even to this day. And so I, I, I think we all can kind of make an, an, an observation, if we will, that despite the secularization of our culture and arguably how our culture celebrates Christmas, there still remains something about Christmas that remains deeply embedded in our national consciousness. I mean, really, it's hard to imagine America without Christmas, isn't it? Maybe that's why uh, there's such a, vi- a visceral um, response when you have political correctness or, or individuals that want to downplay the Christian message of Christmas by taking away uh, uh, crashes from town squares or any references to Christmas at school. It's not Christmas break. It's a, it's a winter break or a holiday break. Sometimes you're going to hear it in stores. Even in listening to how people talk on television, the live ones, how do they sign off? Do they even mention Christmas? Or do they say happy holidays? Or something along those lines. And there's this pushback. And part of that, I think, is that um, even people that don't understand Christmas, they do understand that the word Christmas itself has very special meaning. And then maybe you even have to think that That's part of the reason why in our country today you don't hear the word Advent anymore. It's it's Christmas. It's not Advent. Now, maybe I'm a little overboard when it comes to Advent, that I really like to focus focus on that word, and maybe I go a little too far, but there is something about acknowledging this time prior to Christmas Day and the meaning that it can have for us. So we share the word when we talk about Christmas. We use the word Merry Christmas. Uh, we say Merry because it's a, it's a joyous time for Christians. The merriness is not simply having all the, all the plans fall into place, uh, the eggnog-enhanced mirth amid our family, friends, and and festive food and gifts. Actually, the Mary in Merry Christmas is like the Felice in Felice Navidad. It's a Spanish song that celebrates Christmas. But they don't use Merry Christmas. They use Felice Navidad, joyous nativity. Now, this is, is to express an, this inexplainable, overwhelming sense of, of joy that parents feel 
when a baby is born, especially the first one. I mean, by the time we got to the third, trust me, it was still fun. Uh, and even today, this is the fun part about this sermon. I'm, I'm waiting to hear about whether or not I got another granddaughter or grandson all day. It's just hard to sometimes focus because of the joy that's connected with that. And it's a part of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this waiting in anticipation. And there's joy that comes at the end of the expectation when it is revealed. Words just cannot express the joy and wonder when it comes face to face with this mystery of of the life at the birth of a child. I don't know. My dad didn't see any of the ten of us get born, but I saw all three. It is amazing. It's like, well. So Christmas is about the nativity of Christ, whose both birth both Mary and Joseph waited nine months for, and actually whose birth God's people of Israel had waited centuries for. So it shouldn't surprise us that the world, including our country does not really embrace Christmas for what it really is. You see, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. No one honestly wanting to think about Christmas can wake up on, on, on Christmas Day and not pondering the question that Jesus posed to his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, we see that uh, Jesus is curious as to what the people are saying about who he is. He asks his disciples, more importantly than who the people think he is, the question is, who do you say that I am? This is where Peter has his wonderful confession that he does from time to time. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. What does he mean when he calls Jesus the Christ? Well, Jesus goes on to explain The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, killed, and on the third day be raised. That's the Messiah. What does the Messiah do? Well, when you understand the Christ or the Messiah, you begin to be able to answer the question of what Christmas is. Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus Christ the promised Messiah. Now, you all know that his first name that was given to him was the name of, John, of, of Jesus. And that's a, uh, a equivalent to the Hebrew uh, name Joshua. It means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. And he got this name because that's exactly what the angel told him his name was going to be. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You can even see it. That's why we name him Jesus. Now, the word Christ is different. It's a title that that comes from the Hebrew word for Messiah. And it means the anointed one of Yahweh, the Lord. Now, we get this name from the angels speaking to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He was just simply saying the the anointed one is born to you today. 
this Christ, this Messiah, the anointed one who was promised to Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Immediately after they sinned, God curses Satan with the words, and I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Her seed, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Now again, I I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about this phrase before, but it's clear from the text, especially when you get into Genesis chapter 4, that Adam and Eve actually believed that their first child was the promised one. They thought, oh, here it is. We've waited nine months for it. And he is arrived. Now they were wrong. But that kind of sets the stage of the Old Testament believer looking for this anointed one, this, this Messiah. He was also promised to Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, through your offspring. For you are the ancestor of to Jesus himself. And you'll see that play out throughout the Old Testament. There was even a promise that was made to uh, David. Isaiah, earlier in his book, says, uh, the Messiah will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So when we talk about Jesus Christ being born, we're talking about the Lord who saves, the anointed one, the one that has been looked forward to throughout the generations. And yes, you even hear it in our text today from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Amazing that these words are spoken by Jesus. In the Old Testament, these are Jesus' words. And you say to yourself, whoa, I've never heard that before. Maybe you did and you just forgot. But I'll give you you ironclad proof. All we have to do is look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on a Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And as was his custom... And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What happened next? Well... Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Imagine the shock that must have gone over that group of people. And what was their reaction? This 
uh, revelation of Jesus being the one of whom Isaiah spoke of. Well, they drove him out of town is what they did. If they would have had their way, they would have thrown him off a cliff and to kill him. They didn't want to hear about the Messiah named Jesus. They, they were looking for some other kind of Savior, not Christ himself. This is a sad rejection of Jesus, but it wasn't the first, and it definitely wasn't the last time that he was rejected. Jesus' work of salvation actually ended on the cross when people and religious leaders killed the Savior of the world. That's why John writes, Light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness more than the light. And we see that even today. There's a phenomenon of, of, out there. I think it's kind of intriguing. Um, and it's occurring all over the world right now. One can go almost anywhere in the world. All right, somebody's going to say Antarctica, but anywhere in where a lot of people are living in the world today during December, and guess what they're going to find? Christmas decorations. Yeah, colored lights and, and Christmas trees uh, decked in gold are found in uh, rich Arab nations today whose faith is expressed in Islam, which rejects Jesus as the Savior of the world. Likewise, in, in nations that are traditionally Hindu or Buddhist or Shinto, India, China, and Japan, guess what we find? We find Christmas trees. We find Christmas decorations. But there's more. There are times that people actually will tolerate and even embrace the, uh, the secularized Christmas that we have here in the U.S., it's a winter festival. It's a time when uh, lights and parties and food and presents and, and decorated trees are shared throughout the community. Some will even tolerate a generic Jesus, making just a brief uh, appearance, of course. But he will not be the promised anointed one the one that's revealed in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. In fact, he cannot be the Christ whom Paul says. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the greatest evil age according to the will of God our Father. Ultimately, what we have at stake at this time of the year is the culture war uh, in our um, country and, and, and as well as around the world is the question, who do people say that I am? What child is this, if you will, who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Is that even a part of their thought process? Is the Jesus, the promised Messiah, the reason for their season. For Christians, on the other hand, Christmas is joyful because it is the day, the holy, eternal, 
and only begotten Son of the Father became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us in grace and truth. It is the birth of the holy and sinless Lamb of God who came to give his life for the sins of the world. Our season's greetings are happy and merry because we are confessing what Isaiah and Jesus proclaimed, namely, the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, that's what our calendars say, right? The year of our Lord, 2023. And that's what we're living in right now. We are living in the days and the years where God himself proclaims to us the good news. Binding up our hearts, uh, our wounded hearts, our sick, freeing us from the depression, uh, the depressing captivity and the darkness of sin in this world. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor because we've been baptized into Jesus the Christ. When we were baptized, we were uh, released from captivity and we were clothed with the Messiah's robes of righteousness. Paul says, for as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, not to split hairs here, it doesn't say baptized into Jesus. It's specifically referencing the anointed one, the promised one, the one who would come to take away the sins of the whole world. What was Jesus talking back in Isaiah really is an expression of who we are as the faithful people today. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Notice the imagery that Isaiah is using. He's using that as a, of a wedding feast. It expresses this intimate and joyous relationship that you would have similar to when you got married, I hope. The idea like, oh, I, I felt I won. I felt I had to do it quick, otherwise she'd figure it out. Um, but I'm telling you what the joy that she would be my wife and I would be her husband. I, words at the time would hardly express that. And yet, it's that experience that applies to us. And that has been fulfilled with the coming of Jesus, the creation of this bride, the church, whom Christ himself, the bridegroom, made holy. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. My goodness, that's exactly what's happening right now. Right now, in the presence of God's people, hearing God's word, God is shaping us in his image. He is choosing us to be his own. And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is, is about what God has done and what God has yet again promised to do again, to come a second time to deliver all the world into eternity, those who believe in him to eternal life. 
those who celebrate the gift of the Savior at Christmas time. And that's what Advent joy is. You can't take Jesus out of Christmas or the Christ out of Christmas. I'm not saying you can't be joyful. I'm not saying it can't be faked or or reproduced um, because we can build up something to the point that we are joyful and happy it's there. But if it doesn't include Jesus, it's not like we celebrate it. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus grew up and died on the cross for our sins. Jesus restored the relationship that we have with the Father by offering himself in our place. Christmas is in Jesus, and he is the Christ. So, in the words of the popular Spanish song, Feliz Navidad, I want to wish you a joyous nativity and a Merry Christmas from the bottom of my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.